James Kennedy Ministries presents Truths That Transform. Your history teacher at public school may have taught you that the pilgrims were murderous colonizers. But is that true? The pilgrims. They were poor. They were outcasts. They were enemies of the state for their refusal to submit to the Church of England. Today, we set the record straight against the cultural Marxists who want to destroy our Christian history on truths that transform. Welcome to Truths That Transform, a production of D. James Kennedy Ministries, where we are standing for truth and defending your freedom. This year marks the 400th anniversary of the very first Thanksgiving at Plymouth Colony in 1621. Yet an entire generation of Americans has grown up largely ignorant of the pilgrims, what they gave to us, and what the first Thanksgiving was all about. Largely because the teaching of history has been hijacked by Marxist ideologues. The story of American freedom in a very real way begins with the pilgrims who settled in the New World. Today, we share a portion of the in-depth story of the Pilgrims produced by our own Providence Forum and its executive director, Dr. Jerry Newcomb. Who were the Pilgrims? Where did they come from and what motivated them to take that dangerous trip across the Atlantic Ocean? The uniquely Christian character of the brave men and women who came over on the Mayflower established a godly heritage. As many Englishmen discovered the Bible for the first time, they felt the need for the Church of England to reform its ways, to be more like what they found in the New Testament. The vast majority of these religious nonconformists chose to stay within the Church to work for its purity. They were derisively called Puritans. The name stuck. The Puritans were not the only dissenting Christians in the Church of England. There was also a very, very small group of religious nonconformists that thought that reform within the Church of England was hopeless. The difference is that the Puritans were trying to purify the Church of England, which they thought was lax and heretical after the Elizabethan settlement, whereas the pilgrims who would share the Puritans' Calvinistic theology thought there was no point in trying to purify it. What you need to do is separate from it and establish your own church. One specific congregation of the separatists are known today as the Pilgrims. Their name implies that this world is not their ultimate home. They are only passing through. After Elizabeth, King James I ruled England from 1603 to 1625. He was no friend of anybody who deviated from strict conformity to the Church of England, and that included the Pilgrims. I will make them conform, or I will harry them out of the land, or do worse. James's philosophy was, no bishop, no king. He could control his subjects religiously through the means of bishops. Ironically, King James is best known today for the beloved masterpiece that bears his name, 
the King James Bible, which was first published in 1611. James enrolled more than 50 of England's greatest scholars from Oxford, Cambridge, and Westminster to assemble this translation. The only reason that King James even agreed to a new translation of the Bible was to dethrone the Geneva Bible of 1560, which was very popular with the Puritans and the Separatists. The group we know today as the Pilgrims was a particular congregation of Separatists that met in mid-England, called the East Midlands, in the sleepy village of Scrooby, which is in Nottinghamshire. Scrooby is about 150 miles north of London. These pilgrims began meeting around 1606 in the manor house owned by one of their leaders, Elder William Brewster. William Wrestling Brewster of Plymouth, Massachusetts is the great-grandson by nine generations of Elder William Brewster. William Brewster was the elder of the church. He was, he was you know, one of the you know, founders of, of the church. William Brewster was a remarkable man. He really had a, a great setup in the East Midlands because he had an inherited an important post and, uh, for the government, and he could have stayed there and enjoyed that. But instead, he took his home and turned it into a house church, and he put his heart with the separatists, and he became an elder and a leader. And when it was time to go to America, it was William Brewster who would be the, the key leader in getting them from Holland back to England and over to America. They began their congregation with a concept they found in the Bible, the covenant. A covenant is a formalized, usually religious agreement between parties. It's a promise. That's another word, a way of putting it. God is the witness and it often it is with God. The United States can be said to be the first and to a large extent most Judeo-Christian country in the history of the world. The pilgrims founded America for all intents and purposes. Their chief pastor was John Robinson, who was a graduate of Cambridge University and a great biblical scholar. The pilgrims' services were secret and were illegal. Their children helped them by watching to make sure no authorities were coming to arrest them. Uh, they had to do it in secret. They couldn't really publish when they were going to meet. And the teenagers, like William Bradford at the time, were part of the youth group, which were called spies. And they would be outside listening to what people were saying. So if they heard anybody say, hey, we're gonna, they're going to meet here tonight, they would, they would possibly change the time or even the day. The King of England is the supreme authority in matters of religion as well as matters of state. They paid a high price for practicing their faith according to their conscience. Pilgrim leader William Bradford would later write about the whole pilgrim story in his book of Plymouth Plantation. It is well known unto the godly how ever since the first breaking of the light of the gospel in our honorable nation of England, Satan hath raised, maintained, and continued wars and oppositions against the saints. William Bradford, the opening lines of Plymouth Plantation. Well, Bradford, who came into the separatist movement as a teenager, was there for all the big events. He was there in England. He fled England. He went to Holland. From Holland, he came to America. In America, eventually, he became the governor. He became the preeminent leader of the pilgrims at Plymouth Colony. And he also became the great chronicler, the one who really recorded their life 
in what uh, their hearts and beliefs were. After a few years of anxiety of secret worship, of double church attendance, both in the Church of England so they wouldn't get punished, and then in their own secret congregational meetings, they decided to leave their country. In Holland, they reasoned, at least they would be tolerated. Their first attempt to leave ended in disaster. The ship captain they hired betrayed them and stole their possessions. Many of them ended up in jail. Their second attempt was also disastrous. On May 12, 1608, at the port of Hull on the east coast of England, a group of about 80 of them, men, women, and children, were on board a coal boat called Francis. The 80 passengers were attempting to flee the only country they ever knew, England, in order to find sanctuary in Holland. But they did not have an official license to travel. Well, the separatists wanted to leave England. And in a sense, James I would have been glad to get rid of them. But the problem was, uh, if you were considered a nonconformist, if you weren't uh, conforming to the, to the rules of the Church of England and the hierarchy under the king, then you weren't allowed to leave the country. So they were really caught between the rock and the hard place. The coal barge, or bark as it was called, was able to carry the passengers out to sea where they could be transferred to a Dutch ship. Suddenly, the king's armed soldiers came to arrest them. By this time, the poor men already aboard were in great distress for their wives and children left thus to be captured and destitute of help. And for themselves, too, without any clothes but what they had on their backs and scarcely a penny about them, all their possessions being aboard the bark, now seized. What weeping and crying on every side, William Bradford. The authorities kept the women and children they captured in jail for a long time, but it grew to be an embarrassment because their behavior was so um, remarkable and uh, their attitude was so good. Well, the men made their way back and the women and children went home, but they tried again. They were not going to give up. Eventually, they made it over to Holland and within a year settled in the town of Leiden. There, they spent many good years. Being thus settled, after many difficulties, they continued many years in a comfortable condition, enjoying much sweet and delightful society and spiritual comfort in the ways of God, William Bradford. But after about a decade, they became restless. The hard work, the extra hours, the poor jobs, working in a second language, all of this took its toll. But the worst problem was that some of their children were enticed by the worldly Dutch youth and were leaving the church. Another concern for the pilgrims was that the treaty of peace between Spain and Holland was going to expire. What this could mean is that they would lose their religious toleration because Spain could reinvade Holland as it had earlier. When the pilgrims were in Holland for more than 12 years, they realized several things. Actually, the year uh, 1617 was their year of decision. When that time, they realized the truce with Spain was going to end in 1620. Secondarily, they realized that they were getting older. Their children were not walking in their ways the way they wanted to. The temptations of a freer Dutch society were such that they didn't like that. And so they began to consider another move this time to the New World, to America. It was no small decision to decide to go to America. America was this mysterious, dangerous place, a place of, uh, of uh, three-headed snakes, 
uh, a place they had heard of unicorns, a place where there were saber-toothed tigers, where there were cannibals. Those were the stories that were coming back from the early explorers in America. And so it was a very fearful place, and it was a very difficult decision to decide that you were going to take your wife and your children, and you were going to expose everyone to those kind of dangers in America. But the, the great desire to have this freedom of faith drove them to do that. And so when they finally made the decision where to go, they decided they would go to Wilderness America. The pilgrims arrived in America after a treacherous voyage on the Mayflower, paying a steep price so that they could worship Jesus in peace. Many of their number did not survive between their arrival and the first Thanksgiving, and yet the remaining pilgrims did not despair, but gave thanks to Almighty God. On next week's program, we will share more of this Providence Forum documentary on the pilgrims. And in a few minutes, we will give you the opportunity to get your own copy of that special, as well as other resources that tell the true story of our nation's incredible Christian heritage. Our founder, Dr. D. James Kennedy, did more to preserve and promote the true heritage of the pilgrims than virtually anyone in the 20th century. He believed we owed them a great debt and had much to learn from them as he shares in this portion of his message, The Pilgrims Speak Today. With Thanksgiving Day fast approaching, I thought that this would be a good time for us to consider the establishment of this nation, what it means in our hearts today and what it actually should mean to each one of us. And of course, we cannot properly understand it without going back to those who began this country and gave us the first governmental constitution in the birth certificate of America, which was, of course, the Mayflower Compact. I speak, of course, of the pilgrims, those hearty and brave men and women who came over here so long ago to these shores and founded for us this nation, to whom we owe such a debt of gratitude. Who were they? Why did they come? And what do they have to say to us today? I think that today there are a lot more people that know that they did come, the fact of their coming, who really don't know who they were or why they really came. And of course, our public schools today are not only doing nothing to help in that regard, but everything to hinder. In fact, they have expurgated from their history textbooks any of the religious or spiritual significance of their coming. In fact, incredible as it may seem that one textbooks, one textbook in discussing the first Thanksgiving celebration has the pilgrims giving thanks to the Indians. I can't even mention the God to whom they gave their thanks. What do they have to say to us today? Well, the first thing that I would have you to note that these were men and women of conviction. It was conviction born of the Word of God. These were men and women of the Word who were willing to go to prison. They're willing to be killed. They were willing to cross this wild and ferocious desert of the ocean and go into the midst of savages 
all because of the Word of God, which was such a precious treasure. Many of us today have two, three, five, or ten Bibles in our homes, and yet we spend little time really searching them or reading them or hiding them in our heart. And I think as we look back to our fathers, as we sing, faith of our fathers living still, we would be true. How true are we to that love that they had for the Scriptures? And that conviction that it was the very Word of God for which they were willing to give their whole lives and even to be harried out of the land if necessary. Secondly, they were men and women who loved one another, who lived as examples unto all of the world. They determined to establish a city, a shining city on a hill, a light for all the world to see the gospel. That was their great desire, that they might have that kind of a life. And they were indeed an exemplary people, even recognized as such by the government because their word was true, it was their bond, they worked assiduously and uh, faithfully in their jobs, they could be counted on and trusted in all things. The Dutch delighted to lend them money, they knew they'd always get it back. There was never a lawsuit or an argument or a disputation among them. They were truly a people of God who lived it is said by Bradford, as perhaps no other congregation that lived since the time of the apostles, in such peace and unity and love. They were men and women of peace. They loved each other, they cared for each other, and they lived in peace in the midst of a corrupt world. Their great desire was to live for God, to follow his commandments. One of the reasons that they left Holland was because of the corrupted morals of the people and particularly their profanation of the Sabbath, which grieved the hearts of these people. And I wonder what the pilgrims would think about us today as their children. What would they think of you? If you are such, keep in mind, they were willing to travel 5,000 miles to get rid and away, rather, from people who had no more concern for God and his laws than that. And lastly, they had a great zeal to witness. William Bradford, their historian, the second governor of Plymouth Plantation, who was with them throughout all of this, from Scrooby to Amsterdam to Leiden to Plymouth, he tells us that they had a great desire to share the gospel with other people, but in Holland they had to appeal to the burgomasters of Leiden to move into the city, and when they did they had certain restrictions that they had to live under to have the privilege of living there. And one of them was that they were not allowed to proselytize any of the Dutch people into their church. That was a law. And they indeed were greatly frustrated by that. They wanted to share the gospel. It was their desire, said Bradford, either to be the, the cause of reaching out to the world with the gospel or at least to provide a stepping stone for others to do it, that the gospel may go. And so when they signed the Mayflower Compact, they said that they had undertaken this journey for the glory of God and the advancement of the Christian faith. And they did provide a stepping stone 
It was only a few years later that the first missionary, John Eliot, set out into the wilderness of America to take the gospel to the Indians in their own language. Many more were to follow until more missionaries had gone out from America than from any other nation in history. And so their desire has come to pass. But as we sing faith of our fathers, as we consider who these people were and why they came and what they attempted to do, I hope that you will be challenged as I am, as one of their descendants or one of those who has inherited what they created for us. I wonder what they would think of what America is today. I wonder what they would even think of us as Christian descendants. I wonder if they would be pleased with the way that we have held up that torch. I wonder if they would feel that this is indeed a city set on a hill. And I hope as we sing faith of our fathers from time to time, that we'll consider these fathers and mothers, sons and daughters, so many of whom suffered so much, half of whom died the first year, that we might be here today to consider what we have been given and what we are passing on to our children. May God help us to be like them. The pilgrims were filled with love for Christ and a zeal to win the lost. Yet today, the cultural Marxists in our educational system deliberately deceive children by teaching the pilgrims were genocidal maniacs and that America is a secular nation. In reality, the Christianity of the pilgrims formed the first basis for American government and liberty. They brought with them the idea of the biblical covenant, which they set down in the Mayflower Compact, the first self-government in America. At a time when the historical basis for our nation's freedoms is being cast aside, it's essential to know and defend the truth and to teach it to our children and grandchildren. We have a classic resource that will help you do that. It's the booklet, Restoring the Real Meaning of Thanksgiving by Dr. D. James Kennedy and Charles Hull Wolfe, featuring a foreword from Dr. Jerry Newcomb. This booklet examines the true history of Thanksgiving and the pilgrims who instituted it and shows how relevant and important that is for today. Simply write to us at D. James Kennedy Ministries, Box 11154, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, 33339, or call toll-free 877-962-7677, or go online to djkm.org. And if you are able to give a generous donation of $60 or more, we will send you the booklet plus the DVD documentary from Providence Forum, The Pilgrims. You saw a portion of this documentary earlier in this program. And we would like to send you the full hour-long DVD, which features Dennis Prager, Alveda King, William Federer, and many others. It tells the amazing, true story of the pilgrims and how their Christianity shaped America 
contrary to the historic revisionism that has tried to demonize them for generations now. In addition to the booklet and the DVD, we will also send you the book Lessons on Liberty by Dr. Peter Lilback, designed for all ages and packed with colorful illustrations, this entertaining and educational hardcover book uses a simple alphabet poem to guide the reader through the fundamental principles of American liberty. You will want this trio of resources to educate your children and grandchildren in the truth. And you will also want to contact us as soon as possible because these make great Christmas gifts. That's the booklet, Restoring the Real Meaning of Thanksgiving by Dr. D. James Kennedy as our thanks for your generous donation. And the booklet plus the Providence Forum DVD documentary, The Pilgrims, plus the hardcover book, Lessons on Liberty, as thanks for your donation of $60 or more. Simply write to us at D. James Kennedy Ministries, Box 11154, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, 33339, or call toll-free 877-962-7677, or go online to djkm.org. It's no secret today that America's history is under attack. As a result, our relationship with Thanksgiving grows increasingly confused. Where at one time, perhaps even in your own childhood, the pilgrims were celebrated and the settling of America was revered. It's all denounced now as an imperialist colonialist exercise. Not long ago, the producer of a reverent documentary on the pilgrims was asked why he had neglected to include the part where the pilgrims killed all the Indians, something that never happened. Perhaps that's why he left it out. The Christian pilgrims had an excellent relationship with the indigenous people of America, and both groups helped each other in raising their standard of living. Regrettably, other settlers in America did not behave as the pilgrims did, and atrocities were committed against Native Americans. But never by the pilgrims, who came to America for the glory of God and the advancement of the Christian faith, which taught them that all human beings are created in the image of God. There is a great deal of ignorance on these subjects, and this is not accidental. Educators steeped in cultural Marxism have worked for decades to sully the reputation of those who settled and founded America. They have intentionally taught a false and revisionist history, knowing that by tearing down our history and our symbols, they're eroding the foundations that will eventually result in the collapse of our system, which is, of course, their revolutionary goal. We who possess the truth must not let them do it. We must educate our children and grandchildren on the true Christian history of America. And we must be diligent in giving thanks to God for all of our blessings, rather than rejecting His blessings in the name of so-called social justice as our leftist elites do today. 
D. James Kennedy Ministries is standing for truth and defending your freedom. I'm Frank Wright. Thanks for being with us. Here's a look at the next truths that transform. Simple, revolutionary. It was a polarity change in world government. Instead of top-down, ruled by these kings that keep getting more and more powerful, it's bottom-up. That's next week. This has been a production of D. James Kennedy Ministries.